Today, we speak to the CEO of an organization that is the influential, united voice of the vibrant creative arts community in New Jersey. Stay tuned as we learn about their dedication to arts advocacy. Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Welcome to the Voices in Advocacy podcast, and I hope you're enjoying season five. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. Let's get started. On today's show, we speak with Adam Pearl, the president and CEO of Art Pride New Jersey. In this role, Adam manages Art Pride operations. He leads the senior management team and is responsible for resource development as well as fiduciary oversight. Prior to joining Art Pride, he was the vice president of the Princeton Regional Chamber of Commerce. Before his work in the nonprofit sector, Adam worked on several political campaigns at the local, state, and federal levels. Hey, when he's not in New Jersey, enjoying a New Jersey craft beer or rooting for his beloved New York Giants, you can find Adam encouraging his two budding performers, Alexis and Marley. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Adam Pearl to today's show. Adam, glad to have you on. Roger, pleasure to be here. after 15 plus years of talking about advocacy, it's a real honor to be uh, on your on your podcast. Always a pleasure to talk to you. It's great to catch up again, and uh, absolutely, we've we've had a few conversations about advocacy as we've gone along here, haven't we? Yes, sir. Yeah, let's let's begin by telling people about what the mission of Art Pride New Jersey is. Absolutely. So Art Pride New Jersey is what's known as an arts service organization. Um, but your listeners might be more akin to a trade association. Essentially, uh, what the, you know, the New Jersey Bankers Association or the New Jersey Campground Owners Association is to bankers and campgrounds. We are to the arts in the state of New Jersey. So our members are theaters, galleries, performing arts centers, large and small from very small nonprofit uh you know volunteer run local organizations all the way up to the largest uh performing arts spaces in the state of New Jersey and we have for profit and nonprofit members uh, and we have businesses as well as entities that produce and present and and all of these folks are banded together by the love of arts and the understanding of what the impact of what arts and culture can be for New Jerseyans, for for our, for our folks that live uh, and work here uh, in the state. And so as an organization, we do essentially three things. We do advocacy and public policy, which we'll, we'll talk a bit about. 
We also run a major program called Discover Jersey Arts, where folks can learn about what's actually happening at, you know, in terms of uh, participating in cultural opportunities. Uh, and we do professional development for the field, for these organizations, for hundreds of organizations across uh, the state of New Jersey. But we really view ourselves as the, the leader, the voice for arts and culture at all levels, from arts education to professional, volunteer, and, and where arts intersect uh, in our daily lives in so many different ways. Well said, uh, and you're right. We're, we're going to talk about advocacy here today, uh, but it's interesting to know about the other two pillars that support Art Pride uh, New Jersey. So why is advocacy engagement so important to the arts community, and particularly in New Jersey? Well, I think to answer that, you have to go back to sort of the, the genesis of Art Pride, which uh, began in the mid-1980s. And this was really about the major arts institutions in the state of New Jersey, uh, theaters uh, like McCarter Theater and performance companies like New Jersey Ballet and, uh, you know, uh, regional presenting entities uh, such as uh you know, uh, Paper Mill Playhouse, Count Basie. I'm throwing some love to some of your folks that might know New Jersey a little bit. Uh, these entities got together because they really needed, in order to survive as large nonprofit arts organizations, they needed public funding. They need public support to be able to balance. They get private support from foundations, from individuals. They do sell tickets. But in order to make that piece of the puzzle work for an organization that brings in money and then provides not only the those cultural opportunities, but arts education opportunities as well, they need public funding. And public funding was sort of happening piecemeal as it can, can be. So these organizations started banding together. And that continues to be one of the primary agenda items for Art Pride is public support of the arts. So whether that's at the federal level with the National Endowment for the Arts, at the state level, when it comes to our state budget or other legislation that might uh, appropriate funding to the arts, but it's also at the, the county and the local level. Um, there are definitely county county funding mechanisms here in the state of New Jersey. And then New Jersey is a, a big home rule state with over 500 municipalities that wield an enormous amount of power uh, over property taxes and schools, uh, tons of funding, especially in the state of New Jersey where property taxes are very high. Um, you know, there's there's certainly a lot of funding at the local level and not just in big metropolitan areas, but but all over the state. And so we're involved in how the arts are supported, yes, by funding, but how they're intersecting in other ways as well. Housing and economic development, tourism, healthcare, uh, et cetera. So how do they interact and, and affect not only just the residents, but the many visitors that, that come to New Jersey? Absolutely. So if, if we think about uh, there's sort of that the arts for the love of arts, right, for going to a performance and immersing yourself in that experience or standing in front of a piece of art and taking it in and that that what we call sort of the intrinsic value of, of enjoying the arts. But arts and education, uh, certainly numerous studies that prove the correlation between exposure to, to art and early childhood development and how that builds skill sets uh, over time for students and how that improves students' educational behavior. We see arts and healthcare, how the arts are used, for instance, when working with veterans uh, and using art therapy uh, with things like post-traumatic stress disorder. We see how the arts intersect with tourism. So you have 
a theater that's in downtown and it brings folks in to see the thing. Well, they come in and they pay for parking and they they go and visit a restaurant. Maybe they stop at a shop. Maybe they say, hey, this place is this town downtown's great. Let's come back again. So that that sort of sense of economic development, both from a residential and from a tourism aspect, all of these are how the arts are intersecting in areas outside of, you know, just the the love of uh, of seeing that, you know, for me, live music of going in and seeing that thing you love. Well, yeah. And it's also a development tool used to lure the visitors in. Absolutely. To, to come attend that. So what would be on the minds of your members or their concerns when it comes to kind of the big issues, the advocacy uh, points within the arts community in New Jersey? So I think right now, sort of twofold. Uh, one is uh, the recovery from the pandemic. So this is an industry, as you can imagine, we, as I mentioned earlier, piece of the puzzle is folks coming and purchasing tickets, purchasing subscriptions, making an extra donation to an, uh, an arts organization they believe in and, and enjoy. Uh, and these are organizations that were, as we all know, completely shut down. Um, and the road to recovery has been slow. Audiences are, are slow to come back. Uh, you know, very clearly before the pandemic, arts organizations leaned heavily on uh, on seniors and, and the older sector of the population. Those folks are less likely now to come back uh, to a performance or to come back on, on, a, on a regular. Um, so there is that, that sense of there's a longer road to recovery. And so there's a need for continued support from from public entities and from funding that has already been set aside for recovery, we need that continued support. So that that is a uh, number one issue. And then the other the other major issue that we're dealing with um, is sort of a shift in private support, both from private foundations and from corporations. Um, and so we, as uh, as a leader and as a voice, need to be part of a conglomerate of organizations that continue to have that conversation with the folks that are here in the state of New Jersey, the corporations, the philanthropic folks about to what we were just talking about, how about how the arts are a integral integral part of the quality of life of New Jersey. And, and we, as a, you know, as an ecosphere, as an economic ecosphere, we need to nurture that. Uh, and, and that needs to be important. Are, are you seeing a decline in kind of corporate support for the arts uh, due to the all the factors that surround what you just indicated, the pandemic and, and those other factors, or, or are they looking at it and saying, now more than ever, we need to step up? I think we're starting to see a little bit of a decline enough where we want to be able to be a voice for how we we turn that around and how we remind folks about the the importance of the arts and, and, uh, and how that intersects with how they attract talent and retain talent about you know that how that quality of life intersects for for corporations between why it's important for for residents and why it's important for them uh, as a corporation uh and arts education a lot of those studies talk about you know this the skills that CEOs and folks that are hiring for are those creative skill sets that 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 folks receive when they experience arts education especially the way they do here in the state of New Jersey where uh, it's one of the highest rates in the country for exposure to arts for 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 students in public art in public education. Oh, I think that's fabulous. Absolutely. So I noticed that you publicly list about 18 different bills that you're tracking 
right now uh, within the, the New Jersey state uh, legislative bodies. Uh, if you had to pick one and you had to look at it and say, what would be your top priority and, and why? Sure. That's an, that's an easy one. So we do track a lot of bills because the arts, as we've been talking about here, intersect in a, a bunch of different ways from public policy and and that's part of our role, right? That's part of our role as an organization is to be that watchdog and to keep an eye on things. And when we need to have conversations with with elected officials or get involved in some way, uh, we're there. We're, we're aware and we're, we're ready. Um, to answer your question, S2800, uh, A4233 is a bill uh, that we are very much focused on. Essentially, it says that the state should take $70 million of its existing American Rescue Plan fund. So it has its little, cat, not so little cachet, uh, you know, uh, that the state has from the American Rescue Plan funds that it needs to spend. And we're essentially trying to get a piece of legislation passed that says $70 million should go to the New Jersey Economic Development Authority for them to grant out for nonprofit arts organizations to assist in their re recovery from the pandemic. Same thing with for-profit arts organizations. Uh, independent venues have been an entity that really dove into the advocacy pool over the, the, the past few years, both nationally and, and locally here in the state of New Jersey. So nonprofit organizations, for-profit art organizations. There's also money there for arts education, and there's money there for uh, creative placemaking as it intersects with marketing. So what we've been talking about, how it it enhances a location, a destination to make it uh, more attractive, more of a community space to enhance the community, both for residents and for tourists. So there's money there for all that. And that, that goes through the New Jersey Economic Development Authority with some assistance uh, in administering that from the New Jersey State Council on the Arts. These are, these are our big public entities here in the state of New Jersey. So you're out there, you're engaging with the legislature, you're doing uh, advocacy work uh, on, on behalf of your members uh, that you've indicated from the large to the small to the community, for the for-profit to the non-profit, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you use your members as the grassroots supporters in dealing with your kind of policy priorities? So one of the great things about the arts is that people are really passionate about it, right? So um, what's great is we do have a fantastic and very responsive uh, army of advocates who are uh, have been you know trained and are ready at the will, and we also have uh, have enough investment to have the technology to activate those folks, uh, and that that really is what what makes up. So what does that look like? So that looks like emails to our list to say, hey, click on this button and complete this action alert. And you fill out a form and you put in your address and it automatically fills out which district you're in. And it has a pre-formed letter. We have, you know, there's a, a bunch of different platforms to do that, but we've invested in that, that technology. We've now recently uh, added onto that uh, the text message, the SMS, SMS text message. So you, instead of getting the email, you get that text message link do the same sort of thing on your phone since folks are you know even more responsive on the phone rather than they are you know even more so than on the on the computer so it's that sort of blanket let's get phone calls let's get emails out to the legislators let's let them know 
they get a dozen emails. Every office gets a dozen emails about this. People, you know, staffers are calling time out. What is this thing? What's going on? Um, go and, and to add on to that, to piggyback onto that, I think you'll agree with this. People don't realize that particularly at the state level, it does not take hundreds and thousands of people to respond. When they get comments from 10, 20 people, uh, that's massive in their world because they typically don't, don't get those kind of comments. It's not like the Washington machine and how everybody is churning out trying to get people nationally uh, to, to reach out. At the state level, it's very different. Would you agree with that comment? Absolutely, absolutely. And then because you have a combination of them, the state legislators also being more local, you have folks that, that know them. So if they get 20 total and six of those are people that maybe donate, maybe just have some sort of relationship, they just know who they are because they're in the community, whatever the case might be, that that truly makes that makes a difference. The the next step after that is then identifying who are the decision makers. So for something like a bill like this that's appropriations related, you have both the committees in the in the state assembly and the state senate that oversee arts, and they're you know they're, they're those two committees needs to go through those committees. So those are half a dozen or so folks that we might want to you know target whether that's directly from our staff or that's someone who might need a constituent meeting to say hey this is important to us and here's why and to tell their story but those groups as well and then you know might might be a step to appropriations you might be talking about the same with leadership we also for what it's worth um you know we have two of our small team of seven are focused on uh on advocacy and community engagement and, and all of these pieces of the puzzle. Um, but we also employ uh, like a registered lobbyist, a, a firm that we keep on retainer, that we have a longstanding relationship and they are part of the team alongside a committee of volunteers, of folks that represent various different arts and cultural entities that represent our membership, our constituency. And all of that becomes sort of this decision-making process as well as the, the leadership for, for this advocacy work we're talking about. Fabulous. Uh, now, what activities do you have place for your members to participate in, uh, maybe more specifically as a group rather than targeting in the individual emails and, and those kind of things? Sure. So it, it has felt for, for a while that it's been, um, you know, it was crisis mode. And before that, we were uh, in high octane mode trying to get a bill passed that actually increased the amount of appropriations for the arts. That was right before the pandemic that got passed. Um, and now we're still, as, a, as I mentioned, we're, we're still focused on, on uh, recovery. But one of our, you know, standards uh, has been uh, the legislative fly-in, uh, the rally day uh, that in D.C. And obviously we took a break over the pandemic, uh, that span of years for, for a few reasons. And we typically, we're a statewide organization. We represent all, all parts of the state of New Jersey. But our um, sibling national organization is Americans for the Arts, uh, AFTA for short. Uh, and Americans for the Arts for many years did sort of like all the states come as once. But that you know, for, for pretty obvious reasons, that sort of level of gathering at the Capitol doesn't necessarily make sense anymore, isn't sort of welcomed anymore. So now we do this more on a targeted individual basis. 
But we just went in the spring um, for the first time in person, fully in person post pandemic with about 20 or so advocates and a, and a few staff um, down to D.C. and uh, met with uh, 11 of the 12 congressional offices in a single day um, and, you know, did did the did the work right? Put the constituents in front of the the staff and the elected officials and let them tell their their story. I mean, within the context of <laughs> this appropriation or this bill that we need we need to move, but what's the story? Uh, and let let them be be the voice. You and I have known each other for years, and we've discussed this in the past. But tell me how important storytelling, which you just mentioned is to your grassroots advocacy messaging. I always sit in those constituent meetings, and this is what I tell the, the people that we, you know, ask to, to join us, that they, they don't want to hear from me unless we happen to be in my district, right? With the person that I vote for, like, that's great if I'm there. They still kind of don't want to hear from me. Um, as the professional, as the staffer, right, even though I'm not the registered lobbyist, I, that's what I'm looked at as I'm the special interest person. This special interest happens to be arts and culture, right? So that storytelling is everything. That's that's what makes this work is that constituent in the room saying, I run an organization in your district and we and they say, oh, yeah, of course. I know what you're talking about, that that theater down the road. That's great that you've been there, Senator. But do you also know that we run an arts education program and that it's free for this sector of your population that is an underserved sector of your population? And that part of what makes us be able to do that is this, this funding. And this is what's going on with us. This is what's going on with you know our facilities. This is what's going on with our staff. This is what's going on with our programs. And it sounds like you know what's important. That's that kind of connection that makes that makes everything. We can tell that story over and over. And one again, one of the benefits of being an entity like arts and culture is, for the most part, you sit down with elected. They have some sort of connection. They might be an opera fan. They might be a visual arts fan. They might be a mainstream live music fan. Right. All of those things connect. You'd be surprised how many of them say, oh, I had this experience in arts education growing up. And so it, I find it for us, we connecting is easy. It's about just getting that person in the room and trying to, to find that that way. And, and because of that, we've had a lot of bipartisan support, especially at the state level, um, but definitely at the, at, amongst our contingency at the federal level is also very much pro-arts, despite whatever, you know, uh, their affiliation might be. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word advocacy? I think it's democracy, right? I think that that the idea of this grand experiment is that it's the will of the people, but you don't know the will of the people unless they speak up. And so whether it's arts and culture or the many causes that you uh, you display on your podcast, this is about folks standing up for what they think is right and just and what they think will help repair the world, right? And there's no direction without that voice of the people, right? There's no direction for the, the democracy. There's no direction for these folks that we've elected um, who, who get a bad rap, but for the most part are trying to do good. 
um, for, for the people that they're representing. Um, I think that's what I think of that. That is democracy at work is the, the will of the people, the voice of the people. Yeah. Most people have a hard time separating the smokescreen of politics to the actual job of governing. And when you get through the, that smokescreen of politics and, and you get to the issues and what's going on, uh, I agree with you. Uh, the average citizen uh, across this country would be shocked at how much information goes into these offices and how much they pay attention to what the constituents have to say. I mean, after, after all, uh, their job approval comes two ways. One, in the number of votes that they get to maintain office and the amount of money they have to run those campaigns. And if they're not paying attention and not listening, those things kind of tend to dry up. Um, so you said that you have prepared uh, advocates. Are you doing any training programs, any webinars, or is it more one-on-one? -on -one? So it's a combination. Uh, we have definitely added the regular webinar to our uh, tool over the last few years, and that uh, has has got a great response from sort of the most engaged uh, members and constituents of, of ours in terms of giving them information, trying to break down. And, and then it also works two ways. That's also an avenue for us to listen and hear about what's important to them, what kind of information do they need, and to be able to say, hey, we don't have the answer to that, but let us come back to you with that. We'll we'll do a follow-up email. We'll find out that piece of information uh, and, and, and get back to you. So I think that there's that piece of it. We're definitely doing advocacy training. Um, so we do something that we internally call Advocacy 101, um, but it's essentially sort of like, don't be afraid to sit in a constituent meeting, right? Don't be afraid if you're the executive director of a small local nonprofit or arts organization to have a relationship with the mayor of your town. Not only don't be afraid, but this is an integral part of your role as an executive director of a small nonprofit in, in your right. Like this is part of what you need to be able to, to do is to have that relationship and and to understand uh, what that looks like and what that feels like and what that responsibility is. And so we do this both internally for, you know, subsets of our membership, you know, whether it be the folks, you know, uh, a, a group of marketers for various arts organizations in the state of New Jersey that get together, uh, you know, whether it's doing for that kind of group or it's going to, you know, a county level um, to one of our county cultural and heritage commissions who re-grants out smaller grants to arts and heritage organizations and sitting with them and talking to those smaller local arts organizations. It definitely happens uh, in that way as well. So you said something that I think we need to uh, draw out just a little bit more here, pull on that thread. And, and that is when you were talking about webinars, and you talked about, you know, yeah, you're pushing out not only the issues, but kind of the 101 and, and how to be a, a better advocate. But you said something about really pulling in, listening. And I think that all too often is forgotten in, in this process. Uh, so I highly commend you for that process and recognizing that that's part of that process. Uh, because oftentimes things bubble up that you didn't even know existed and they share that with you. 
Absolutely. It's one of the most challenging, but also one of the most important things we do as an organization. If we're a membership organization, you know, just like the model of democracy, we need to be at the will of our members. So we need to continually listen to them, but we also need to listen to all of them. It can't just be the folks that we see or have relationships with or that have the capacity to raise their hand and, and be on a committee. Um, so we do have a great government and strategy committee, for example, that is a volunteer representatives from the arts and cultural community. And they come on committee meetings and they give advice and they share where they're at and what their challenges are. Um, but we're what we're learning is actually that's not enough. We need to do more. Uh, we're in a strategic planning phase. We're doing some listening sessions. And what we're starting to hear from folks is that. Uh, we need to be going out to the broader membership and asking for their their input on a more frequent basis when it comes to advocacy and public policy, which is something we can absolutely can do and should do. So it's I appreciate the, you know, uh, the praise, but there's always room for growth and there's always room to be able to listen to to those that you're representing. There sometimes as trade associations, as statewide representative type organizations we can get into a rut of, uh, we know what's best, but really, truly, we need to listen and be representative of of, uh, of our members and constituents. Well stated, well stated. Uh, you addressed a couple of different challenges that you've had along the way. What's the biggest challenge directly in your job when it comes to advocacy? I think for me as the the sort of the head of the organization, its capacity, right? In my mind, even though we're New Jersey's a small state, we are an extremely densely populated state. We are a state truly rich, like every village and every dell has arts and culture baked into it in its own way. And it's everywhere. And so there's so much to cover, even though, you know, we're a relatively geographically small state compared to most in the in, in the country. In my mind, I'd love to have two or three times as many folks working on advocacy, community engagement, doing that that work, what we call the big A advocacy, right? The working with the elected officials on bills and stuff like that, but also the small A advocacy, right? That 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 education to the community about the value of arts and culture, right? To each and every community. If we could have more folks doing that. That would be so much more impactful. And so capacity for me as, as a manager and being able to say, that's a great idea, but we can't do that. We need to focus on this. That's always the continues to be the biggest challenge for us. Yeah. Bandwidth tends to be one of the biggest things that uh, that, that affect people in the type of job that you have. Uh, one more question. What's the best professional tip you've ever received in your career? So this may not surprise you given uh, how we know each other, but actually very uh, early on, uh, my father gave me the advice, which was no matter what industry you go into, participate in the trade association for that industry. So whether, you know, he was a dentist, right? So he was very involved with the New Jersey Dental Association, the American Dental Association and the Academy of General Dentistry, right? But whether you're a dentist or an an architect or, you know, uh, or work in the arts and culture, he, you know, or tourism, right? He had said, get involved in that, be participate in that, take a vested interest in it. That's your, that's your field. That's your career. You have, you should take an interest in what is going on that affects that career from, 
from a from a, a wider aspect. So to me, that's always been a, a piece of advice that I've taken with me, and I've absolutely passed on down the line to others. What a great way to kind of wrap this up, uh, because uh, that kind of sets the tone of, of what people should should be involved with and, and care about. Any final thoughts? Anything you'd like to add? No, I think we're, we've covered it all uh, in terms of, of our pride and advocacy. And uh, it's just always a pleasure to to hear the Roger Rickard voice and to, to, to be in your sphere. <laughs> That's so very kind of you to say. I appreciate that. How can people reach Art Pride New Jersey for more information? I think the website is the easiest way to do it. Uh, ArtPrideNJ.org, NJ for New Jersey, or, you know, just Google it, Art Pride New Jersey. You'll find us. That's wonderful. Well, that wraps up today's fantastic conversation with my friend, Adam Perl, President and CEO of Art Pride New Jersey. Thank you, Adam, for being on the guest today and all the best in your future endeavors. Thanks, Roger. Let's face it. Today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's rapindex.com and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices and Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices and Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.